Hi, and welcome to the Veterans Legal Lowdown, brought to you by Chisholm, Chisholm, and Kilpatrick, a law firm representing veterans nationwide. In each episode, we break down a different VA disability topic or share our take on the latest VA benefit news. Good afternoon and welcome to CCK Live. My name is Jenna Zellmer. I'm an attorney here at CCK Practicing Veterans Benefits Appeals and joining me today are Maura Clancy and Emma Peterson. Today, we are gonna be talking about VA's Benefit of the Doubt Doctrine. So let's jump right in. Um, Maura, what exactly is VA's Benefit of the Doubt Doctrine? When we talk about that, what are we discussing? So the Benefit of the Doubt Doctrine refers to the standard of proof that applies in VA claims. So the Benefit of the Doubt is the idea that if the evidence is, generally speaking, equal or in equipoise, then the idea is that VA is supposed to grant the claim, even if there's um, a balance of negative evidence and positive evidence, if there's any question about whether the evidence is enough to substantiate the claim, they're supposed to be granting it. Um, it's sort of like the it's a tie scenario, mm -hmm. so the tie will always go to the veteran. That's how we um, talk about it kind of in shorthand. Um, and it is unique. We're going to talk later about how it differs from other standards of proof, um, but it's definitely something that's part of the non-adversarial nature of the disability benefits process. They're not requiring you to prove um, or you know hurdle a very high standard of proof to to succeed on your claim. Mm -hmm. Great. And what is the standard of proof? You mentioned that a little bit. What is the standard of proof for approving <clears throat> VA claims, Emma? Um, so the standard of proof for VA claims is probably the lowest standard you'll find in law. It's as least as likely as not, <clears throat> which means you just have to show it's at 50% or more likely that what you're trying to prove um, happened. Um, so either for service connection um, or even for an increased rating, as least as likely as not, you more nearly approximate this next rating. So it is a low burden of proof. <clears throat> and that fits in with the benefit of the doubt. If everything's 50-50, all things being, being equal, um, the veteran should win. Um, Maura mentioned that's different than other legal standards, and you've probably heard, you know, just through general exposure to, you know, TV crime drama, law and order, law and order <laughs> whatever you watch on TV, um, there's other standards. So everyone knows that there's the beyond a reasonable doubt standard um, for criminal cases, and that's the highest standard you'll find in law. Um, sometimes civil trials or, or lesser criminal trials will have clear and convincing evidence um, or preponderance of the evidence, and that means a 51% or maybe even higher. Um, but the lowest standard really is at least as likely as not 50-50, and again, that goes to the non-adversarial nature, pro-veteran system that occurs at the agency. Great. And I think, um, you know, when you hear the, about VA's benefit of the doubt doctrine, um, you a lot of times veterans will kind of look to VA's rules and try to find that particular phrase. Mm -hmm. um, and I think of it more as an umbrella that is kind of pervasive throughout a couple different uh, regulations and statutes. So, um, Maura, what exactly, you know, where do we find these resolution of reasonable doubt, benefit of the doubt statutes and regulations? There is a statute and there is a regulation that talks about how all reasonable doubt needs to be resolved in favor of the claimant and it, that sort of translates to if the evidence is equal like we've been talking about if it's an equipoise that's the word that's used I think mm -hmm. then the veteran needs to prevail not the VA or the veteran shouldn't lose I think the statute 
is in Title 38, Section 5107. Mm -hmm. I wrote that down before today (laughs) in case anyone wants to refer to it. Yeah, I think a lot of times veterans like to know exactly, you know, and it it gives them a little bit more assurance when they're talking Mm -hmm. to VA that they know what they're talking about. Right. And there's other regulations um, also in Title 38 of the Code of Federal Regulations. You can look to 3.102 and 4.3. But like Jenna said, this it's not as if you have to cite these specific regulations when you're filing a claim or making arguments for VA to say, oh, well, we should be applying the benefit of the doubt in this case. This is something that applies to every case. This is the operative standard of of proof that applies. There are a few exceptions for different types of claims where the standard is different for very narrow circumstances. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about those later. But generally speaking, if you're filing a claim for service connection, VA has to apply the standard of proof that is in their regulations and in the law, which is that if it's 50-50, you should prevail. And if they're requiring you to show 51% of the evidence is in favor of your point of view or 75% or they require totally conclusive proof, all Mm -hmm. of that is wrong. doesn't matter what you cite. Um, We'll talk later about ways to bring up this issue, Mm -hmm. you know, in in your pleadings. But um, I definitely agree with Jenna. This is this is what applies um, pervasively. Right. And I think it's just there. You can find it. It's part of I think you was you mentioned earlier, VA is not adversarial Mm -hmm. system. Mm -hmm. It's kind of you find it in a bunch of other of different statutes and so are a different regulations right. too. And so you're not really going to go and find one particular rule that says benefit of the doubt. When we talk about the benefit of the doubt doctrine, we're talking about kind of the whole system and all the different regulations that talk about this approximate balance of, of good and bad evidence. Exactly. So I think we've been talking a lot um, theoretically. And so I want to bring it down to earth a little bit mm-hmm. and talk about how exactly you would apply the benefit of the doubt doctrine when you're, um, you know, looking at a claims file and when the board or the rating uh, rating officer is looking at the evidence. So how exactly, can you give an example, Emma, of how the benefit of the doubt doctrine, that's a little bit of a mouthful, (laughs) would apply? Sure. So for example, let's say you um, are filing for service connection and you go to one of those VA, you know, disability exams, a compensation and pension exam. And for whatever reason, the examiner finds that it's less likely than not that your disability is due to service. You then take that exam, you go see your own treating doctor, and they come to the opposite conclusion that in their opinion, it is at least as likely as not that your condition is due to service. If those two exams are equal, and we'll get into this in a little bit more detail in a few seconds, but if those two exams are equal, they have you know the same type of rationale, both examiners are of you know equal competency, you know, they're both, let's say, orthopedists, they've both gone to great schools, they both explain their rationale in detail. If those exams really are equal, then VA should be granting you service connection. Um, just because one is a VA examiner doesn't make that evidence inherently better or stronger than your private treating examiner. Um, But that being said, that doesn't really happen in real life. That's not how claims are decided. Unfortunately, they probably should be. Um, But VA, um, the regional office, and then the board itself um, gets to weigh the value of each evidence. They put it on a scale and figure out what's entitled to more weight. And to do that, they look at the competency of the evidence and the credibility of the evidence, and then they assign one particular piece of evidence maybe more probative weight than the other. So oftentimes you'll see, maybe not in a rating decision so much, but you'll see in a board decision, um, the board member will decide that the VA examiner had a better rationale, 
They cited to medical literature. Um, they review the veteran's service records, whereas maybe the private examiner just provided an opinion with no rationale. Um, the board's allowed to weigh those two pieces of evidence and pick one over the other. So in that case, the benefit of a doubt would not apply because the board has specifically found one piece of evidence is stronger than the other. So they're not equal. Um, <clears throat> so that can be difficult to, I think, understand and overcome. But just know that... Um, if it is truly that perfect scenario where, you know, you've got both doctors with rationale and they're both equally competent and credible, um, the tie should go to the veteran. And and just to add to that, um, I totally agree with Emma's assessment that that is how it's supposed to work. If you have two pieces of evidence that are generally speaking, one's positive, one's negative, but they're equal, that's a classic benefit of the doubt situation where the claim should be granted. But the, the real issue comes in the way that the evidence is weighed. So it's not enough just to expect a grant if there's you know two pieces of favorable evidence and two pieces of negative evidence so they should balance each other out it really does go to how VA is assessing them and that's where we really see the issues so um, just because they're saying that there's two opinions one positive one negative and they're denying your claim doesn't mean that they're not applying the benefit of the doubt doctrine it just means that they've probably maybe they haven't but they've probably decided that the negative piece of evidence is better for some reason and then you kind of have to pivot toward attacking their reasons for, for making that finding. So, right. yeah, I think you bring up a good point because I think a lot of times veterans will, you know, um, submit their own evidence that is really favorable and they think it's a slam dunk, right? So <clears throat> they know that VA has to apply the benefit of the doubt. They've submitted all this evidence and then they get an unfavorable decision and they're really upset because right. they thought that the benefit of the doubt meant a little bit more than it actually does in practice. And so mm -hmm. it is really important to not just kind of count you know, pieces. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like tally up all the favorable things and then tally up all the negative things and then come to a conclusion. It's more about the substance of that evidence. Mm -hmm. And I was just going to add, not to get too much into the weeds, but they are supposed to be applying the benefit of the doubt when they are reviewing individual pieces of evidence, if there's any uncertainty surrounding the evidence. So to Emma's point, sometimes the board say, we'll weigh an exam and they'll say, it's not really clear if this private favorable examination was based on a review of the claims file. So we've decided that it's not as probative as the, as the VA exam. But right there is a problem because they haven't given you, or they haven't really given the examiner the benefit of the doubt right. that he did review the claims file. He or she did review it. So um, it is, as Jenna said before, um, definitely an umbrella. It's like a lens that they're supposed to be looking at claims through. Yeah. Um, and they commonly <clears throat> don't do it correctly. Um, but again, you know, just, just trying to be on the lookout for exactly what the issues are in a particular case can be helpful um, because just the benefit of the doubt alone is not going to get you through at the end of the day sometimes right. with it's a certain little, evidence. In the last resort, it's kind of a catch-all at mm -hmm. the end, but really mm -hmm. what you should be focusing on, on is making substantive arguments and submitting evidence and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, absolutely. So, you know, we mentioned uh, how the board and or how the uh, rating office uh, would weigh the evidence. Mm -hmm. um, and so when they're weighing the evidence, they're kind of making findings about the probative value of those evidence. So let's talk a little bit about how VA um, makes favorable findings about what they find probative. So um, 
I think Emma's going to take this one because there's a little <laughs> bit, there's a legacy. There's, we, I mean, we've talked a lot about legacy claims right. and talked about um, the AMA and a lot of other Facebook lives. And so we have a lot of information on our website about VA's recent regulation changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of those recent changes, the way that VA treats favorable findings is a little bit different now. So right. Emma, do you want to take it? Sure. So <clears throat> under the legacy system and, and under AMA, and I, I think I talked about this a little bit, um, VA makes sort of two assessments when determining probative weight, meaning how um, much does this evidence weigh towards or against your claim. Um, So like I said, look at the competency, and that has to go with, is this person competent to talk about the issue? Um, You as an individual veteran or layperson probably aren't competent to opine on a complicated medical diagnosis, but you can clearly talk about how your symptoms impact you on a day-to-day life. You can talk about simple things like, well, I know I broke my arm because, you know, the bone was sticking out, things like that. You're absolutely competent to address that. So competency has to do with whether you're qualified to talk about the issue. And then there's credibility. Um, Is it consistent with other pieces of evidence in the file? Is there some reason to doubt the credibility? And there's specific hurdles VA needs to clear before they find someone um, incredible or find a doctor or or any type of expert evidence, piece of evidence incredible. Um, And and that often is a whole other area you can mine for legal mistakes. Um, But once those two things are discussed, then we talk about the weight of evidence and whether it's probative or not. So if the board or the RO finds a piece of evidence um, competent and credible, that's favorable to the veteran if it's you know in your favor. Um, if they find that it's competent and credible, <clears throat> your report of an in-service incident where you know you slipped and fell and hurt your back, um, that's you know going to be a, a favorable finding. So those are types of things that are favorable findings. Um, under the legacy system, <clears throat> those findings, if the RO makes that finding, that's not binding on the Board of Veterans' Appeals if your case has to go up to the board. Um, they'll then de novo review all the evidence and make their own um, favorable findings. Um, and I'm going to stop quickly to answer Barry's question because this is an important question. We keep saying the word probative, <laughs> and I was trying to explain it earlier, and I, I know I kind of botched it. So probative means, I mean, how do we define this down? <laughs> it's hard to say because, you know, you say it's probative so many times in evidence in law school that it just gets drilled into your head yeah. and you can't get it out. Probative like means like <clears throat> tending to support. Right. Does it prove or disprove yeah any fact, make it more likely or less likely that something happened, something occurred. Mm-hmm. It's proof. Right. It has bearing on what you're trying to, right. to show. And so if the board finds something probative, it has it has probative value, they're assigning that um, a lot of weight and considering it in, in the claim and kind of not necessarily just taking it for granted, but saying, okay, we have assessed that this evidence is relevant. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, it's, you know, favorable or unfavorable and it tends to disprove or prove the veteran's claim. And and sometimes it works on a sliding scale. You'll see the way that they talk about probative evidence. So I'm thinking specifically of the board because they do, um, you know, at VA when you get a decision, the analysis that we're talking about is usually right. coming from a board decision. You're not going to see this level of detail typically in rating decisions. Um, but they might say that one exam is more or less probative than another exam based on a number of factors. Or they might say, 
say that a certain piece of evidence is slightly probative, but another is highly probative. So right. um, it, it can, it, it, as Jenna and Emma said, it's it's whatever tends to show um, the certain fact or conclusion that they think is um, applicable or the reality in this case. Right. But it's also a little bit tricky because when VA weighs the evidence, um, it, it becomes more difficult to make arguments about reasons why the weighing of the evidence mm-hmm. was wrong. So the more detail they give um, can be more difficult to overcome. Right. And I think a simple way to think about it is, you know, they give one exam a check and the other exam got a check plus. Mm-hmm. So they're both probative, but one is more probative or stronger yeah. than the other. Um, <clears throat> so that's what we mean when we say probative. So good question. Thank you. Yeah, for yeah definitely. That was in my brain. Like I'm saying this word over and over. <laughs> I hope it makes sense. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's a word that, you know, we see all the time and we forget that like non-legal people don't speak the same language as us sometimes. So we always have to remember <laughs> Thank that. Thank you. Um, but back to the difference between legacy and AMA. So favorable findings um, under the legacy system um, are favorable in that decision, um, but they don't bind the rest of VA for all of time. So if your decision goes from the regional office up to the board, the board gets to relook at everything and they can change their minds. They can say, you know what, we don't think this evidence is credible. Um, We don't think that this examiner provided a good rationale. You know, they can just do something different. De novo review means from the beginning, a new look um, at everything. The only time in the legacy system that favorable findings of fact could not be overturned is if you appeal a decision from the board to the court. So if the board made a favorable finding saying, we find the veterans in-service incident report competent and credible, the court couldn't then for some reason reverse that favorable finding of fact. Um, That's a rare exception though. That's the one situation in legacy. Under the AMA, the regional office is supposed to be actually typing up at the in each rating decision um, at the end of each section. You know, if you have multiple issues on appeal, they're supposed to explicitly tell you any favorable findings they've made because those favorable findings are going to be binding mm-hmm. on the rest of VA going forward. So if they decide that your in-service report of you know slipping and falling is competent and credible, that's supposed to be typed up at the end of your decision under a heading that says favorable findings of fact, and then the board, if for whatever reason your decision gets there cannot change that. That is binding on VA on in the supplemental claim lane, the higher level review lane. So that's a really beneficial good change that came under AMA um, because I think it just clarifies things. It just yeah, makes things it, yeah. the same and consistent and, and it less confusing for veterans. focus on what he still needs to prove. Correct. Right? You don't have to continue to work on demonstrating that you had an in-service incident mm-hmm. when that's been you know conceded already. And you might not know that in the legacy system and so you continually writing, you know, statements about what you experience in service, but instead you can focus on getting a medical exam, making sure that you have a current debt disability, and those are the other elements. So um, I think that that's a good mm-hmm. good breakdown. So we actually have a couple questions. Um, the first one um, I think was about if you have two competing um, VA uh, VA exam and a private examination. I think it was Tom who asked that question, um, and so <clears throat> I think that demonstrates exactly what we're talking about earlier when um, we said, you know, it's not just about having 
two pieces of evidence, one says one thing and one says the other. It's really about, um, you know, what what those pieces of evidence say and how the board weighs it. Mm-hmm. So do you guys have anything to add to that? I think that just know that inherently there's no treating doctor rule. That means mm-hmm. your treating physician doesn't get automatically get a bump up because they treat you. Um, and there's also no, you know, VA examiner rule, although sometimes that's hard to believe. Um, <laughs> but there's no VA examiner rule that says a VA exam is inherently better um, than a private exam. So as long as everything else is equal, you know, again, Ty should go to the veteran. Yeah. Um, but nine times out of 10, that's, that's not what is going to happen. Um, yeah. They won't tell you necessarily in a rating decision, but once you get to the board, you might get an explanation saying, well, the VA examiner reviewed all these things and the private exam just says, you know, one conclusion without any rationale. Right. So. Just to Emma's point, it, it's important to try to figure out or unfortunately wait until you get a board decision mm-hmm. with more rationale that explains why they're affording more weight to the negative exam. And then once that happens, you can usually tell why they're favoring the negative evidence over the positive evidence. Um, if they're just saying that the negative evidence is better without really giving an explanation, um, doctors can disagree about things and that's completely fine. Yeah. Professionals disagree about uh, possibilities and causation opinions all the time. So if it appears that it's just a preference that's unsupported for the negative opinion or maybe because it came from a VA examiner, um, maybe point out the fact that that doesn't hold any weight on its own. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really about whether the opinion, the favorable opinion is credible and competent enough to be treated as as probative evidence so that you should get the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. since there's those two competing pieces of evidence. And we have we have a lot of other um, resources about kind of VA exams and getting a private exams and developing right. the record, but I think one of the things that is really important when you get a private exam is to get a copy of the VA exam so that your examiner, your private examiner, or your private physician can look at that examination and really go through it and explain why he or she disagrees with the negative exam. Examination, And so that'll put you in a better position than just having to have the board away two pieces of evidence. Right. You can actually respond to the negative. Exam. And you need to ask for that. Yes. Because VA is not going to send it to you automatically. No. So talk to your uh, service officer, talk to whoever you work with, accredited claims agent, attorney, um, or if you're doing this on your own, um, make sure that you go after getting a copy of that. Because like I said, they're not just going to automatically mail it to you. Yeah. And it's not just your doctor that is um, in a position to comment on the opinion. Sometimes, obviously, laypersons without medical training can't Mm -hmm. give medical opinions, but sometimes if you get a copy of your exam, you will notice some mistakes, um, some inaccuracies. I've seen in a lot of files where a veteran will obtain a copy of an exam and will notice that the examiner misrepresented the veteran's statements or maybe they left out some critical information. Mm -hmm. And so what the veterans have done in those cases is respond in writing to the VA just to let them know that the exam contains inadequacies. And And that statement goes to the probative weight of the exam itself. So by the time the case gets to the board and the board says, this is the most probative evidence, they have to account for your criticism of it and Mm -hmm. the things that you pointed out that are problems with it. Yeah. That's a really good point. So we have another question from Floyd. Um, If a veteran's medical and personal records have been lost or can't be located by VA, 
Um, how does this doctrine work? And does you know can it be used to possibly grant service connection? So unfortunately, this happens a lot. There was a large fire in a St. Louis uh, facility a while back, and a lot of veterans' uh, service records were lost. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I mentioned this is an umbrella, and so there is um, a heightened duty for the board, for example, to provide adequate reasons and bases when it's denying a claim where the service records have been lost. Um, so that's, I think, one way that the benefit of the doubt doctrine kind of applies in the setting. It's not necessarily that the board has to grant service connection because the records were lost, but they do have to provide more explanation about why they couldn't find the records, why they couldn't assist the veteran in some other way, and why they can't grant the claim. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have anything to add? I, I think that that's a really tough situation to be in, um, and, and that's what we see from the board. They'll cite the case that tells them they have a heightened duty, mm-hmm. and then that's it. <laughs> um, so that's a really hard position to be in, and I certainly suggest reaching out to whoever you want to work with on your case about yeah. that issue if you are missing service records or service personnel records to see if something else can be obtained besides your personal records. Right. Um, buddy statements are helpful in those cases. Um, trying to get even unit like records, newspaper, newspaper just, articles, yeah. anything else contemporaneous to your service that could help um, would be great. But that's that's a tough situation to be in. But like Jenna said, um, there's no automatic presumption of service connection. Um, the benefit of the doubt doesn't go that far. But it also doesn't mean, I think the, the flip side of Floyd's question was, does this just mean I'm going to continue to be denied forever and ever? Right. And, it's always possible the VA is just going to continue to deny claims. You know, that's why we all have jobs. But um, part of, you know, part of like what Emma said was that, um, you know, there are other ways to prove it besides mm-hmm. your service records. And depending on what your claim is, um, you know, in addition to the heightened duty, VA has, you know, presumptions in place for mm-hmm. veterans who were participating in combat. There are, you know, ways to say that even though I, you can't prove that you were at a specific location during a combat situation if your unit was there um, you know you're supposed to be assumed to have been there Mm -hmm. Um, and so things like that so even if your personal records aren't there you can still kind of use VA's non-adversarial process and some of the more proclaimant regulations to support your claim Mm -hmm. and to supplement the record with your own statements Mm -hmm. I think this is a classic example of the law is pretty good they have a heightened duty when the records are lost seems like things could work out for you and I think VA sometimes sees it as the opposite which is the records are lost so now we don't have enough information or enough evidence to support a grant so it the analysis is done improperly a lot so mm-hmm. um, unfortunately sometimes it falls on the claimants in these positions to do some digging on their own yeah. and um, again as Emma said lay statements buddy statements any other resources that you have that would support your statements about where you were at a certain time or something that you believe was documented in the records that have been lost. All of that is helpful, and that's probably going to be necessary when there's no evidence for VA to go off of. Mm -hmm. Great. So, you know, I think we've talked a lot about some of the limits of the benefit of the doubt doctrine, but let's talk about it. I think a lot of times what we've been talking about so far is service connection cases. Right. <laughs> um, so let's touch a little on how VA, how this benefit of the doubt doctrine applies when you're seeking a higher rating. So, um, Maura, do you want to kind of go into sure. that? Sure. So in increased rating cases, if you have presented evidence of the severity of your disability and you're seeking a higher rating than what you already have assigned, there is a regulation 
Washington. It's in the Code of Federal Regulations 4.7. Wrote that one down as well. <laughs> uh, and this regulation says that whenever there's any doubt about which evaluation you should be assigned or which rating you should be assigned, you have to pick the higher of the two that could apply. So if it seems like you're in the middle, say, say you um, have a psychiatric condition and you're seeking a higher rating and you currently have a 30% rating. If the evidence shows that you meet some of the criteria from the 30% and some of the criteria from the 50% and you um, could be, it, it could be said that you more closely approximate the 50%, then you should be awarded the 50% rating. Um, there's also another uh, regulation, it's section 4.21, which says that for the more fully described grades of disability, it's not expected that you uh, meet all of the parameters. So that doesn't apply to all diagnostic codes. There are some codes that require you to meet a certain amount of the criteria. And the idea is that they're written in a way that puts you on notice they of that. Build, yeah. Yeah. But the flip side of that is, um, and kind of the point here, is that they are supposed to be looking at all of the evidence. And if there's a question about which rating you should get, they have to give you the higher one. Mm -hmm. um, so this feeds into not only the benefit of the doubt doctrine, but also the non-adversarial nature of the claims process um, and the lens, the umbrella with which they're supposed to be adjudicating claims. So definitely can apply in the increased rating context. Again, um, it's not a bad idea to be mindful. So I think the diabetes code, for example, mm -hmm. is one that requires you to, sh to sort of check off all the boxes for the higher criteria. Um, so it is possible that they will um, be more strict with some ratings, but generally speaking, mm -hmm. if there's a toss up, you should get the higher rating. Great. Um, so, so how, what can we leave, you know, our listeners and our, our viewers with, how can they use this doctrine to their advantage when submitting their claim, either for a service connection or for a higher rating? Um, what do we want them to take away? I think one takeaway is to, um, not make this your sole argument. Yeah. Don't, um, submit something to VA and say, under the benefit of the doubt, you need to grant me a service connection. Um, there's other things that need to happen first um, before you get there. So I think just keeping in mind the benefit of the doubt, it's like we've been talking about as an umbrella or a lens that catches over everything. Um, and you can then build to that. So if you can explain why, you know, you're, and, and again, this requires a little bit more work than maybe you should be, ha should have to do. But um, mm -hmm. if you're concerned about it, you can certainly write something explaining why, you know, maybe your favorable evidence is just as good mm -hmm. um, as the, maybe the unfavorable evidence. And therefore the benefit of the doubt should apply. Or maybe your evidence is better than, and right. benefit of the doubt doesn't even need to come into play because you already are outweighing the negative evidence. Um, but keep it in mind as a, a sort of an ending or concluding argument. Um, you know, at the very least, the evidence is an equipose and you should grant me service connection. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't start with it or, or really lead with that or have it be your sole argument. Um, because like I, we've talked about, there's a number of ways VA can um, decide that it's not even going to be for application. Mm -hmm. And I would just say that just because the there's bad evidence in the file, so a negative medical exam in the file, or maybe there's an outdated exam that doesn't check off as many symptoms as you have today if you're going for an increased rating, the bad evidence doesn't mean that you have to lose the case. Right. Um, the standard of proof, as we talked about, is not beyond a reasonable doubt. It's not clear and convincing. It's not a preponderance of the evidence. Not reasonable degree of medical certainty. 
Oh, right. Yeah. We see that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's no, um, there's no standard like that where you have to be showing an overwhelming amount of proof to your point to be able to overcome, um, you know, whatever evidence that VA has maybe generated that's negative. Um, you can submit evidence of your own. You can rebut the negative evidence that's in the file and all of that. The more that you can do to chip away at the probative value of the negative evidence is going to work out for you in the end. So don't give up if you get a negative nexus exam. Some people see that, um, you know, they get an exam from a VA doctor and they review it and they become very discouraged because mm-hmm. the VA doctor doesn't see their side of it. There are ways to uh, prevail. We've had cases where VA will send a claimant for exam upon exam upon exam and their examiners are all saying the same thing and the, all the opinions are negative mm-hmm. and you know there's usually a problem with the exams if you mm-hmm. really feel that you're entitled to benefits and you really think a certain condition is related to service um, don't let the, the negative evidence necessarily stop you think about what you can do to um, make a better case for yourself yeah, mm-hmm. yeah one good examination when in the face of all those bad VA mm-hmm. exams just because there's more of those bad evidence if there's something wrong with every single one of those exams it doesn't mean that right. you're going to lose so mm-hmm. that's a good I think that's a good way to end it Absolutely. I was just going to add too I, I said something earlier that I just want to follow up on um, so we were talking about whether this the at least as likely as not standard didn't apply in any context and mm-hmm. I had said oh, yeah, there's we a very talk. yeah there's a very narrow uh, or limited amount of examples when the standard isn't at least as likely as not so um, and we've done we have materials on these other issues but there is um, a, such a thing called a motion for clear and unmistakable error so this is one example if you feel that there was basically an administrative deficit or Mm -hmm. um, almost like a typo, a a problem in the assignment, say, of an effective date, and you want to try to revise an old decision based on the presence of clear and unmistakable error, that's the standard that you have to meet. It has to be clearly and unmistakably erroneous. So that's an instance when a different standard of proof is going to apply. Um, Those are very limited, though. Just be mindful. Um, If you see words like clear and unmistakably, and um, that's the kind of evidence or a burden you need to meet, that's not going to be uh, viewed through the lens of the at least as likely as not standard. Right. It has to be pretty clear. Right. It has to be very laid out. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that goes back to Emma's point that, you know, this should definitely be something that you keep in the back of your mind, but it definitely should not be the first thing that you mm-hmm. argue to VA because there's mm-hmm. a lot of other um, stronger ways to make your case and, and to try to get your claim granted. Mm-hmm. So, good. Well, thanks for joining us today. Uh, again, my name is Jenna and Maura and Emma are here too. And um, we will see you next week. This episode of the Veterans Legal Lowdown was produced by Chisholm, Chisholm and Kilpatrick, a law firm representing veterans nationwide in their VA disability claims. If you're interested in a free case evaluation with CCK, Give us a call at 844-549-4500 or visit our website at cck-law.com.